0: Don't mind me as I arrange furniture. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. Good to be with you guys uh, this morning. And uh, anybody getting excited for Christmas yet? A little bit? Maybe a little bit more as you came in and saw all the great decorations. And thanks to the, to everybody that came out to uh, help put this all together yesterday. We had a great time doing it. And um, they all did most of the work, and I just kind of chased my kids around. So, <laughs> <that> was, <laughs> I was present, but I didn't. I don't even know if I hung one ribbon or bow. So, um, but uh, I was here nonetheless. So, um, just speaking of Christmas, just wanted to remind you, um, as we're in this season, that we do like to participate in something called Advent conspiracy. If you're unfamiliar with that. It's just a, it's a movement um, of various churches around the country and really around the world that are trying to think about Christmas differently and, um, and just ask the question, what would it look like to give less monetarily to the people in our life so that we could give more relational gifts? And then with the margin that we create by giving gifts of relationship and encouragement and all the rest, um, we use that money to give towards people that actually have a need And this year, uh, our identified need is that we're raising money to complete the water project at the school that we helped to build in Shadrach, Haiti, uh, for the kids that go to school there. So it services over 400 kids now, and they don't have access to clean water while they're in their classes. With this water well, they will have clean water all day long not just when they get home. So so that's a great thing, and a a real identified need in the community. They need about 20,000 to complete that project. And what I failed to mention last week is that um, everything that we raise together, that's gonna be matched. So we're actually matching every gift that you give. So one dollar becomes two, two becomes four, uh, and so on. So I think we can knock this out. we're not the only ones raising towards this, but I think um, this need is gonna get met and it's gonna happen early in 2018. So uh, so stay tuned for that. I also wanna mention too, because um, our Christmas Eve gathering is in the evening um, and because our Cultivate Community gathering is the following Sunday, we actually have two Sundays at the end of the year where we're not actually gathering on a Sunday morning. And so um, as just as you remember you know, your year-end giving to our family uh, as a community, please just make sure that you find some way to get those gifts in, whether that's through um, the mail, whether that's uh, through online giving on the city, or whether that's giving next Sunday, which will be kind of our last Sunday where we're actually collecting for the sake of our church family. So uh, just so that we can end the the year strong uh, and have all of our needs met. Um, Speaking of our needs and just kind of You know, on this continual uh, topic of of giving. Um, Make sure that you get your pledge cards in for 2018 if you haven't done that already. We're doing that two ways, either physically. We have um, little pieces of paper in the seat backs that you can tear off. One half for you to remind you of your commitment to our church family, and the other half is to give in. You can also do that through a survey online. You can find that through the city. And really what we're trying to do is just make sure that as we're thinking about our place in, in the family called Cultivate, and we do believe that we are God's family, that, that we're thinking intentionally about what God wants us to do and, and how he wants to, us to participate uh, in our church family and how generous he wants us to be. So we don't dictate any of that. Um, we ask that. We do ask, though, that you would prayerfully consider that with the Spirit's help, how much he wants you to participate Uh, financially in our church family, and we're going to use that as a benchmark to try to gauge how we proceed forward in 2018. So we have some exciting things coming up next year. We want everybody to participate in that. Good? All right. We started a series last week called uh, Jesus Comes to Bring, and we're highlighting various things that Jesus came into the world bearing as a king to bring to the world. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus comes as a king who brings comfort. Um, So if you missed that, go back and listen to it on our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about light, and we're, we're doing this series through the lens of the prophet Isaiah who came 700 years before Jesus, and he is speaking to the nation who is gotten away from their relationship with God, who has forgotten many of the things that God had done for them and told them that they're to be about. And they've, they've missed out on the whole point of being in, in this relationship with God and to be a nation that was really centered with, with God at the very middle of, of their identity and their calling uh, in the world. And God is calling them back to that through Isaiah. And he's Telling them about a day when God is going to come himself to do that work, and so that 's what we 're looking at through the month of December is what that looks like to, to to have God show up in person and make the world about him again and oftentimes in the holiday season, I know this is true for us and it 's probably true for you. Um, Christmas can become about so many other things, and it 's easy to forget. Um, the real reason for the season. So that's what we're doing together. So we're going to be in Isaiah 9 today. Uh, if you're going to follow along in the Bibles that we have, it's on page 479. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Isaiah 9. And it's, you're, you're going to re- remember this immediately, uh, what, what passage this is, because it's the most famous passage in uh, Isaiah. And it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress... In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So how many of you have heard this passage before? (laughs) Pretty much every one of us, right? Um, It's the one that we all remember. It's the one we all think of as kind of the Christmas passage of Isaiah, and it's really all about light. It's about God bringing light into the world and what that means and what that looks like. And, and when we think of Christmas, Christmas oftentimes is a holiday of lights, right? We, we think of the lights on the Christmas tree and the lights on the house and the lights in the neighborhood and the lights around town, and it's all about light. Um, so how many of you have a favorite light display that you like to go and check out? this time of year? Do you have like a favorite house or a favorite thing? What, what are some of those things that you like to go check out? The house on Springdale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that enormous inflatable snowman <laughs> that could be seen from space with the swirling belly. If you haven't come by and check it out, you should. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, the township buildings. Yeah, those two houses right next to each other and like everything like this from the sidewalk to the doorstep, the whole roof. Yeah, it's a great one. If you haven't been over there, you should go check that one out. Yeah. Nice, yeah, in Magnolia there's one too. Hopefully you guys are taking notes. You're like, okay, Magnolia, I've got to go check that one out. There's one in Barrington too that I really love that um, someone on the side, along the side of their house and they have trees and it's all set to music. It's, and so it's, it's on a timer and stuff. And so when you pull up to their house, they say, turn your radio to, to this channel and then you can sit there and listen to the radio and the lights actually flash according to the music. I don't know who thought that up, but that's crazy. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's almost like the lights create a space where you feel like you're part of a community, right? Yeah. yeah so you feel like, I want to be in the center of that light because in the light, I have, I feel like I'm among other people that enjoy the light as well. Light has a way of doing that. Um, it's funny. I mean, when you think of light, even like my, my favorite, I mentioned this last Christmas Eve. Um, my favorite movie has everything to do with lights. My favorite Christmas movie was the um, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, right? And um, how, just how nuts he is about lights, you know, on his house. And like when he finally does get him to go on, like the, the electric meters like, you know, it's, it's going like crazy. The irony about that movie, though, is if you ever thought about it, and I didn't really think about it this way until just now, is that he, he's so focused on creating the perfect Christmas experience about having a holiday full of light that he fails to see that the real darkness that he's pushing against is actually the darkness that's in every one of his family members including him, right? So, so he, he does all these things to create this great experience to bring light to his family. And internally, everyone's just dark in need of light internally, including him and his kids. And he's doing all these things externally to be like, look at how much light there is. And internally, everyone's just like, you know, living their life against the light. They don't even want to see it. Even when the the lights finally do come on, half his his family members are like, that's great. And then they go right back inside. And he's like, I thought this was going to bring the true meaning of Christmas. And it doesn't. And and a lot of us, we live our lives the exact same way. We, We look at the externals to try to bring light to our lives, to bring light to the world, to bring light to our families. And we try and we try and we try to have this perfect experience, and it never gives us what we're after. Because there's only one that can bring light to the world. And that one is God himself. And so Isaiah is saying that that God will bring light to the world. He has brought light to the world. But in order for you and me to have light, especially this time of year, we need to get our eyes off of the, the lights that we try to look at to be temporary replacements for him and onto the real light. Because that's the only way that we have light internally as well as externally. Because every other attempt is going to be external, but it won't actually penetrate our hearts. So what does? And and this is what he says about that, that that when God brings light to the world, he brings it in a way that it's unexpected, a way that's eternal, and a way that's unmerited. And we're going to talk about those three things. He brings an unexpected light, an eternal light and an unmerited light, a light that we don't deserve, a light that's given as a gift. And if we remember these things about the way that God brings light to the world, guess what happens? He brings light in us. And he brings light through us. So let's look at unexpected. He brings an unexpected light. This is the way Isaiah starts this passage. And he says, In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations, he says, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And if you were a, a Jew reading this 700 years before Jesus came along, you would be shocked at this statement. Now, it doesn't shock any of you, because you have no idea what Naphtali is. <laughs> and you, you may have heard what where Galilee is, and you kind of know that maybe that's where Jesus hung out a lot, but these terms at, mean absolutely nothing to you. But if you were someone living in Isaiah's day, you would be incredibly shocked that, that of all places in the world, God initiates operation light to the world in a place like Galilee. You'd be completely shocked. Because if God is going to bring light to the world, He's going to do it at His home base. The spiritual capital of the world. Which city was that? Jerusalem. It's the place where the temple was. The, the, the place where, where light was going to shine. This is the place where God works. If he works anywhere, he's going to work in Jerusalem. And Isaiah's going, no, it's not going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to happen in the darkest regions of our nation. It's going to happen in the places that seem like they are in the backwoods, in the boondocks. Places you would never want to visit. The places you wouldn't, you're not a tourist going to places like Naphtali and Galilee. Because when all 12 tribes of Israel were around, Zebulun and Naphtali were on the outskirts of the nation. And they had, a long time ago, before Isaiah came around, been captured and taken away by Assyria. And and Assyria came in and and made, essentially, a mixed group of people within this region of land. They weren't purebred, kind of Israelite, Jewish people. They they were half-breeds. It was a mixed race. It was very diverse, diverse religiously and ethnically and racially. And so it would have been shock to the people that were purebred Israelites. The people that that had the credentials, that had the resume, that had everything spiritual kind of going for them, who thought that if God is going to work in the world, he's going to use us to do it, for them to hear, no, I'm going to use people in Galilee. It would have been unthinkable to them. And part of the reason, I mean, even when Jesus comes along, And and he starts to tell people who he is and what he's come to do. Uh, One of the people that become his disciples, Nathaniel and John one, when he finds out that Jesus from Nazareth, which is in that region of Galilee, goes, can anything good come from there? Nothing good comes from that part of the world. Nothing good comes from that part of our county, from that part of our city, from that part of our nation. That's the way they would have responded. See, because there was a hierarchy. You always thought of yourself in this hierarchy of people and, and you were somewhere on that totem pole, but you always found someone below you to make you feel like you were higher up the totem pole so that you didn't feel like you were a nobody. And so if you were from Rome, the, the, the capital of the entire region, you would look on Jerusalem and you would go, oh, those people, they're backwards over there. I mean, they're the lowest of the low. So if you're from Jerusalem and you know that Romans look down on you in that way, then you've got to find somebody else that's down a peg from you and go, no, they're the real backwards people. <laughs> they're the real idiots over there. And for the people in Jerusalem, it would have been the people in Galilee. This doesn't sound like us, right? I mean, we don't do this at all. You know, we do it all the time all the time you know I may only have this position in my place of work but at least I'm not that person because they sweep the floors and so I know I'm better than them because I don't do the job that's beneath me or, or we think of it in terms of the place where we live we're like yeah I maybe I don't live in Haddonfield but I live in in a town like Barrington and at least Barrington's not Camden See, we rank ourselves and we gain our sense of identity by where we think our rank is in life. And so it's important to know when God shows up, he destroys the ranking system. He completely wipes it out because he says when I show up in the world, I'm going to show up where, where in the places that nobody expects me. I'm going to show up in the lowest of the low. I'm going to show up in the place where you think God cannot work because that's where I will work. And I think part of the reason why he does that is because he comes into the world saying, guess what, my light is for everyone. It isn't just for the elite. It's not just for the middle class. It's for everyone. And in me coming to the lowest of the low and lifting them up and saying, guess who I use first? I'm not just saying I use them, but I'm saying I, I come to everyone because it's not just the lowest of the low that have needs. It's you who have pretended that you don't have needs that have needs. And I've come to meet those needs and bring light. You who think you live your life in the light, but you don't. You've just surrounded yourself with temporary light. I've come to you too. And I've come to save you. And to wake you up from your darkness. See, that's, that's why I think Jesus was born into poverty. He was born into a feed trough where animals grazed. He wasn't born into a middle-class family. He, he wasn't surrounded by the rich and the powerful. He was surrounded by smelly shepherds. He was born to a pregnant, unwed teenage peasant who, because she got pregnant before she was married, would have been stigmatized the rest of her life, and so was her child. This is who Jesus is. See, Jesus didn't have any of the the marks of success, the marks of greatness, the marks of ranking that we often think of as those things. And yet, in his lowliness, in his ordinariness, he was the most glorious person who ever walked the face of the earth. He was the greatest king born into the most humble circumstances. He had the greatest strength, and yet he gave it all up to be an infant who was without any power, even to pick himself up or control his bowels. He had the greatest wisdom, and yet he he submitted himself into a family like this, and nobody knew it, and nobody saw it. I don't know if that tells you anything. It tells you that God often comes to bring light in the midst of deep darkness. Deep, deep darkness. In fact, the darker the night, the deeper the, God's desire to penetrate that night with his light. And I think he wants to work that way. He wants to penetrate your life with his light in ways that you wouldn't expect. In unexpected ways, in surprising ways, in ways that you never thought possible. And may, I don't know, maybe you're going through this season and you're like, I don't, I don't know, it's just the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's Christmas. I'm not really excited about it. No, God can bring light to that too, and He can bring light in the darkest of of hours, in the darkest of places where you think He could never show up, and He will. Right, just to be perfectly honest with you, Mandy and I were having one of those nights last night where, like, we don't feel Him, we don't see Him, we don't hear Him. Like, we just had a really rough day. At the end of the day, we we're just completely exhausted, completely like. It's one of those days where you fall into bed and you're like, I'm just glad that's over <laughs> for now. And Mandy actually prayed. I wasn't even in the mood to pray. I was going to tell you that we prayed together. We didn't. She prayed. <laughs> it was one of those nights. And she prayed and she just, she, she just cried out to God and said, we need your light right now. Because it just feels dark. Everything feels dark. No matter where we look, it just feels like there's darkness. God, bring your light. And I was um, I was reminded again, I didn't hear or experience God in any kind of way while she was praying, but this morning I did. As I woke up and I went over to the window and I'm, it was like, it's just one of those bright mornings because like, the light reflects off the snow and just makes everything so much more bright. So you like, open your shade, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even take it all in. you know. And I was just reminded like, how faithful God is to bring the morning after the night and how good he is to just, on a night where we had like that, to make the morning even brighter, to remind us of his love for us, to remind us that he comes in unexpected ways. And he just doesn't just come in unexpected ways. He comes to unexpected people. That's the point, right? It's not just that he works in the darkest of nights, but he works in the darkest of folks. And so I, sometimes we can, you know, exclude ourselves from the company of people that God can work in and work through. And 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 the Christmas story reminds us again: you are included no matter what stage of life that you think you're in, no matter what socioeconomic status you think you're in, whatever marker that you put on to to be like, well, I could experience God's light if I were richer or older or younger or whatever the the fill-in-the-blank that you think you need to fill in in order to meet God's qualifications. Christmas comes to you and says, my light comes when there are no qualifications. I come to the darkest of people That's why 1 Corinthians 1 says, but God chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before Him. He chooses the most unexpected of people. Which means, don't exclude yourself from His Operation Christmas Light in your heart. But it also means don't exclude anybody else. Because oftentimes I think we, we can fall into one or two categories. Either we can put ourselves on the side of feeling like we are excluded from God's activity, or we can put ourselves in the shoes of the people that lived in Jerusalem and say it has to work through me. It only works through me, and it doesn't work through people who are unlike me. And if that's the case, then you're just as dark. You're just as dark. And so you have to to maybe just think for a second how you actually treat people that are different from you, who, who don't have the same credentials that you do, especially this time of year. People that look maybe like Jesus, who aren't the right race, who aren't the right political party, who... Hold different views from you on things that are dear to your heart, like the environment or social programs, or whether or not you say Merry Christmas as opposed to Happy Holidays this year. How do you feel about people that are different from you? Who don't, quote unquote, put Christ in the middle of Christmas? How do you feel about them? Do you feel superior to them? Do you feel disdain for them? you sort of feel like, well, I kind of tolerate them and I sort of feel good about the fact that I tolerate them this time of year. (laughs) That's not light either, to be honest. Christmas light means to actually love them, to get to know them, to understand why they hold the views that they do and to treat them like a brother and sister, even though they're not. Because that's all what Jesus did for you. See, And until you've done that, you haven't understood what the light of Christmas is. Because it's unexpected. Now the second thing is it's eternal. Isaiah er, 9.2 says, People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. And that term deep darkness is a kind of a play on words that Isaiah is giving, which, which marries the idea of shadows and the idea of death and puts them together. And says it's, it's the deepest of dark darknesses. It's the darkness that leads to death. Because it's the opposite of light and life. If you ever think about this, light and life tend to go together, right? Um, when we don't have light, oftentimes we don't have life. When God created the world in Genesis 1, he begins with what? With light. And soon after comes life. They go together in, God, in the way that God designed the world. But here's the thing, when Isaiah is talking about a light dawning in the world, he's not just talking about the sun. He's not just saying, well, look up in the sky and there we have light, like I was this morning, but it was a reminder of God's light. Because if you, if you remember just for a second, and you look back at the story of creation in the very beginning when God was creating the world, day one, what did he create? Light, Right? When did he create the sun? Here's a little trivia question. (laughs) Day four. Okay. Hold up. (laughs) Wait, Wait, hold on. He created light, and then four days later, day, night, day, night, day, then he created the sun. How is that possible? Doesn't all light come from the sun? Apparently not. <laughs> What's that? What's that? The other spelling. The other sp- oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the S O N, not the S U N. But yeah, so somehow God creates light without need for the sun. And then he creates the sun as a place to house the light temporarily. Did you know it's temporary? Because actually, if you think about it, the, the, we know this just scientifically that the light of the sun is actually disappearing that it was created for a season and then after that season is over it will disappear it will become i don't even know what the terms are a red giant right and then come down and become a dwarf and the light is going to go out not in your lifetime not in mine but one day it will which means that it's temporary which should tell us that every other source of light when we I mean look at the that's the greatest source of light that we have. It's it's what every, every life form on our planet is dependent on. If you extinguish the light today, life as we know it would completely end. I mean our planet would be minus four hundred degrees Fahrenheit by the end of the year if the sun went out today. I I'm not I can't live in that environment. I don't think you can either. And so that, that shows us that the, the, the most permanent source of light that we've ever known is, is temporary in comparison to God's light. That if we, if we only rely on the other sources of light that we often think of this time of year, if we only rely on the light of our family or the light of generous gift giving or the light of our holiday experience or the the light of our favorite Christmas meal or whatever the case is, whatever you try to substitute him with, that light will satisfy you for a time and then it will go out. Just like the sun. Until a new light dawns. A greater, more infinite light. A light that will never be extinguished. And you know... That light is going to be around long after the sun. The end of the story actually tells us that, if you read Revelation 21. Verse 23 says, The city, which means the city of God, where God comes to dwell forever among his people, does not need the sun. It doesn't need it anymore. Or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is his lamp. You know, if you belong to Jesus, one day you're going to live in a city where God himself lights every street and every home and every heart simultaneously. See, because when the new heavens and the new earth come, when the world is perfect and God brings his light to every corner, that light doesn't just come externally like the Christmas vacation, it comes internally It comes into the hearts of all people and all death and all darkness and all suffering and injustice and selfishness and disease and war are gone forever and ever. And when that day happens, God himself will be the light and he is the light that never goes out. And in the light of his presence, nothing ever dies and nothing ever decays. And Isaiah is saying, we need that light. We need it. We don't just need it on the day when God brings it eternally. We need it today. We need that light to dawn in us today so that we can have internal light and not just external light. And that light has dawned through Jesus, and that's why we can have great hope, because he says, For us a child is born, and for us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He will be all those things the first time He comes. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Not just just hoping for the next time He comes, but remembering the first time He came, that He does bring light. And so we have to understand and remember that God brings that internal light. Today. Today. Not just someday, but now. And so we have to remember when Jesus did come that he came to bring light now. And and so I think in order to do that, you have to remember a couple things about Jesus. One is that you have to remember that he really is God in the flesh. That he really is the, the light of the world come down into human existence, the eternal one here and now in our presence. And what that means, if you understand it, really, as it is, is that he's not just a nice guy that you can kind of make part of your holiday experience. We said that last week. You can't just add him in as some external addition to your world. You have to make him the center. I, I remember when I, uh, I was a new believer at the age of 21, and somebody handed me a, a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and I remember reading through that for the very first time and, and it was answering a lot of the questions that I had about who God was and my relationship to Him and, and how I needed to see Jesus because I, 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 was, I had lived my life with Jesus as an accessory to my life. I had prayed to Him to kind of give me the things that I really wanted in my heart like a, like good grades and a successful career and a, and a girlfriend and all, all these things that I wanted and I thought... Well, if he's God, he can give them all to me because he has access to everything that I don't. And so I used him like a genie and I'd rub the bottle hoping to get the right answer out of him. And and then I read this. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He wouldn't be somebody that you come to to get advice and help on the weekends. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. See, there was no middle ground. There was no asking Jesus to fall at my feet and submit to my agenda anymore. Because he either wasn't who he said he was, in which case I should reject him or feel sorry for him. Or he was exactly who he said he was, in which case I should fall at his feet. And there is nothing in my life that should not be his. And I realized this the first Christmas that I experienced after having become a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a a born again Christian, because the, the scales had fallen off my eyes. I remember the first Christmas morning after I came to faith in him at the age of 21. And I remember waking up that morning and every other Christmas before then, I would wake up and just, I'd want to run to my parents and run to my sister and run to the presents and, and run in and get all the, the other things that come along with Christmas morning. That was what I was most excited about. That was most, what I was most excited to, to receive. And I remember waking up that first Christmas morning I was just reflecting on it today so it's still fresh in my mind. I remember getting up out of my bed and falling on my face and going, I can't believe you came in the flesh. You're real that you were here, that you came for me. I rejected you for 21 years, and yet you came. And the light of that reality just pierced through the darkness for the very first time, and Christmas just became an entirely new experience. It was the first time the joy of the Lord really dawned on me. See, if you're trying to get something out of Jesus rather than to get Him, you're missing out on the greatest gift, the greatest light. And we can often do that. Now here's the other thing that you need to remember if you're going to receive His light and remember it for what it is. It's not just that He's God in the flesh come, but He's God who became a human who's come. And that's just as important because oftentimes we can think when we think of God coming into the world, we can think of him as somewhat removed from us, that he's still God, and so we can't quite relate to him, or he doesn't quite know what it's like to be us and to be in our shoes, and he does. You have to remember that he knows exactly what it's like to be you. I, I'm, I often experience this when I'm in coffee shops, and and um, especially around the Christmas season, there are like parents that bring their kids because their kids are on holiday break and they come into the store and their kids aren't like doing the normal things that normal people in coffee shops do, which is be quiet and behave and do your work. You know, like, because everybody's on laptops or having these quiet conversations, you know, and it's this place of peace and rest and calm. And that's the reason why people go there, to do important things. And then in comes a mom and her brood of unruly kids. and, And all of a sudden the 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 coffee shop just becomes a place of chaos and everyone's like what is this you know like you're breaking the social norms of what it means to be here you know but if you look around the room you can tell immediately who who are the parents who are the ones that understand what it's like to be that mom with her brood of kids who don't behave as kids often don't behave because if you look around the room, you see people who are scowling, and those are the ones that don't get it. And then you see the ones who are smiling, and they're the ones who understand. Why do they understand? Because they've been where the mom has been. They know exactly what it's like to be her. And so when they, when they see her, they don't scorn her. They're filled with compassion. They're filled with love. They, they actually want to help her in her time of need. As she's trying to get all these kids hot chocolate and get them on to the next place. Christmas tells us the creator of the universe has been exactly where you are. He knows exactly what it's like to be you. Which means if you've ever been rejected, he understands. If you've ever been grieved, he knows what it's like. If you've ever been angry, have ever suffered, have ever been afraid, Jesus has been where you are. If you've ever experienced loss, if you've ever been misunderstood, if you've ever been mocked, if you've ever been broke poor, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be you because he's walked in your shoes yet without sin. He knows. And he knows to the depth of that experience because he came to be the lowest among us. He didn't just come to be the best and the brightest. He came to be the low which means he knows the depths of your existence too. See, the, to the degree that you remember him that, in that way. God in the flesh come to save you. God as a human come to know who you are. You put those two things together and what you receive from him is light. It brings light in the darkness. Now the last is that this light comes as an unmerited Light. It's a gift. It isn't a light that you've done anything to earn or to receive because you've been in some kind of good standing with God. Because verse 6 says, For us, to, a child is born to us, a son is given. He's given to us. Which means that he comes as a gift that we receive. And we've done nothing to receive it. I love, I'm sometimes that imagery of like this battle going on, like right in the middle of the verse is kind of off-putting because you think, great, tossed child is born. That seems so soft and sweet, and then all of a sudden there's like garments rolled in blood. And you're like, what in the world is going on here? You know, it's almost shocking, like the the contrast between the the soft and the sweet and the the innocent and like war. And Isaiah just slams both of these ideas together if if you've only read this that, you know the verse that we're all familiar with and you haven't read the context around it sometimes you'd be like i don't understand at all what's going on here but what isaiah is saying is that there's a war going on and a war needs to be fought in order for you to receive this gift because you and i are enemies of god we're not his friends Not before Jesus comes. It's not like we're cool with God and then Jesus comes and it's like the icing on the cake. No, we're, we're, we're enemies of him. We're hostile to God because, face it, you don't want to make your life about anything other than you and neither do I. I want my life to be about me. And when somebody comes and tells me it's not, I get kind of upset about that. And so because of that, we're at war with our Maker. And that's the imagery that Isaiah is using to talk about this. There there's conflict, there's a battle going on for your heart, for your life. But here's the thing, you don't need to fight it anymore. It's not your battle to win or to lose or even to pick up a sword because it says this, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why is it that you don't need armor anymore? Why don't you need a sword? All those things that we use to defend ourselves and to, to make our place in the world, to, to try to make people think that we're all, all okay. It's like us putting on all these pieces of armor and using this sword just, just to, to make our way in the world. And oftentimes we feel like we're fighting an uphill battle and we can never win it. God is telling us you can put all those things away and never use them again. In fact, burn them. How in the world can you do that? because somebody fought a battle for you. It's not your battle to win. And so all the instruments used for battle will be melted down because you won't need swords and you won't need armor anymore because the victory is going to be a gift. Someone else will do the fighting for you and that person is Jesus himself. The king comes to do battle. Isaiah, six, Isaiah 9 i I'm sorry. doesn't tell us how that battle is fought, but Isaiah 53 does. If you go keep keep reading on in Isaiah, you find out that that this one who comes to do battle for us ends up losing the war. And you think, why? How? But this is what what Isaiah 53 says. He, this one who does battle for us, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is he saying? He's saying that Jesus comes as a warrior, but instead of coming in power to gain victory, he comes to lose the battle we should have lost. His light was extinguished. And the reason this happened is because the darkness that you and I see in the world. The evil, the hatred, the jealousy, the racism, the conflict, the war, all the darkness. We look out in the world and we go, wow, it's such a, it's a world of darkness. Where did that all come from? It came from us. It's a result of the darkness that's in every single human being. And that's what Chevy Chase didn't get. Poor Sparky, Right? He thought that if he just brought light externally that it, and brought it in enough quantity that it would, it would make the darkness of our own hearts light again. And that can never be the case. Because the same darkness that we see in the world is the same darkness in us. And so if Jesus did come to, to wipe out darkness, guess what would also happen? He would wipe us out at the same time. Because it's in us. You can't separate the two. One goes with the other. You can't take out the problem without taking out the ones in whom the problem resides. And that's all of us. All of us, including myself, we live a me-first existence, right? And so we need to be rescued from a self-centered life. We need to be ransomed from that. And so instead of coming to wipe out darkness, He came to be wiped out by it. And He was crucified For us in darkness. I mean, do you realize that he was crucified at the brightest moment of the day? And what happened at the moment he was crucified? It became dark. Why? Because all the darkness of our hearts, all the darkness of the world, at that moment was being poured out on him instead of us. He was fighting the victory, fighting the battle. He took the punishment that we deserved. He was pierced for our transgressions. And by that losing effort, at least to our eyes, He gained victory. Because through Him, we become healed. So when you come to Him, when you come to the light of the world, when you receive Him as a gift, you receive the victory that He waged on your behalf. Now here's the difficult part in this is because when you get a gift, you have to admit that you need the gift that you're given, right? How many of you have ever gotten a gift that was difficult to receive? (laughs) I mean, I've told this story before, but the the most difficult Christmas gift I ever received was when I was a teenager, and one of my family members got me a New Kids on the Block poster. (laughs) You You may have been an incredible New Kids on the Block fan, but I was not. (laughs) And yet, I opened this gift in front of all my family and all my cousins (laughs) and a few of my friends on Christmas Eve, and I had to go, Wow, thank you so much for this gift! (laughs) It's amazing. Because I had to admit in that moment or at least pretend that I was a fan of New Kids on the Block in order to receive the gift, right? Now, I wasn't, <laughs> but I still had to receive it. But there are other times, though, when you do receive a gift and it, and it is a gift that meets you at your moment of need and you may not want to admit that you're in that need, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever received a financial gift when you were in a place where you were at the lowest of low and you had no way out and someone comes and brings a gift in such a way that you could never earn it? And, and what happens in your heart when you receive that gift? You have to admit to yourself that you and your life are not within your control and power to, to resurrect, right? You have to in order to receive the gift. And you can either reject it and go, no, I'm good on my own. I will make my own way. I'll do it myself. Or you can receive the gift, and, and by virtue of receiving the gift, you are saying something about yourself, which is destroying your pride. And I know many of you have been in that, in that place, and I've been in that place. It's hard to receive a gift like that. It's hard to admit that we're weak and in need of saving. And we have to understand that in the same way, the gift that Jesus comes to bring is a gift given to make you new at Christmas. And by receiving that gift, you are saying, I am inadequate to save myself, to bring light to my heart, to bring light to anyone in this world. I need his light. See, because if God had to come in the form of a baby and suffer and die on a cross for our sins, because without him, your life and mine are completely dark and without hope. And that means that we are really, really hopeless without this gift. Things are far worse than we thought. Because nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ himself would save us. But here's the thing, when we're humble when we don't allow our pride to to stop us from receiving that gift again and and don't this isn't a message for people that are new only you know like sometimes we can think of this message as being like well this is for people that don't yet know Jesus but I've known him for 20 years and so I'm exempt from this no 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 you're probably filled with pride too because i am I've known him for 16 years, and I need this again. Because those, if, I, if I've learned anything from those 16 years, it's that I, I like to try to trick myself into thinking that I've now taken care of the darkness in my own heart. And over and over and over again, God needs to remind me, no, without me, you were completely without hope. And so I need to humble myself again and again and again to receive it again and again and again because apart from him, I am without hope. And so are you. And that's why one of my favorite verses, favorite may be strong, but one of the verses that God brings me to a lot and that I appreciate when he reminds me of is James 4, 6, which says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. See, if you're, if you're humble again, if you're in need again, if you find yourself without hope, if you find yourself crying out to him like we were last night, there's good news for you. Because God wants to bring his light to you. And I hope, like, if you experience even just a twinge of that, if you're like, yeah, I see it, or I, I, I sense it even a little bit right now, that's his gift to you. In this moment, to, to understand that he so desperately wants to bring it again. And so the question isn't whether or not he wants to do it. The question is, do you want to receive it? That's the only question that you need to settle. And if you do, then there's great news. So let's ask him for that good news right now. Father, we do thank you that the great news of the gospel it isn't just for those of us that are new at this. It's not just that in our 21-year-old self when we come to know Christmas for the first time, we fall on our face and we go, I can't believe this is great news. God, make that same posture of humility and need present in our hearts no matter what, how, no matter how many years we've known this, this season, this, this idea that you come to the world. Because we're just as in need today as we were then. So Father, if we're, even if our hearts are, are open just a crack, God, would you fill it with your light? and make us new. We ask in Jesus' name.